keep clapping. It's all right. You can. Yeah. Open up the heavens. Want to see your glory. I want to see your glory, Lord. Um, so I don't know if you hear it in my voice. It's it's a little tired. Tuesday, uh, I was at football practice and I yelled at the boys because they needed it. And then I was just recovering and then I didn't even make it past the opening kickoff on Saturday morning. And uh, so you pray. You pray for my voice, or maybe you pray that I got a, a short sermon today, and we'll see which one of you, we'll see which one of you is more connected to the Lord. Um, but I want to thank you for uh, being a part of our church this morning. Welcome to Northside. Uh, certainly, if you're at home, folks, we're glad you're here. If you are a guest, we are especially thankful that you are here this morning. We'd love to know a little bit more about you and, and who you are, how we can minister to you. So there's a portion of your bulletin you can tear out. And, and write your name on there, give us some information. Or if you want to join us for Wednesday night supper, you got that You got that option on there as well. So put that in the offering plate, hand it to a minister at the end of the service. Uh, but um, we'd love to hear from you. But right now, I want to take this time to greet each other and shake a hand, and maybe your voice is stronger than mine, and you can say, welcome to Northside.
Father, as we come today, we're so thankful for this, another beautiful Sabbath day that you've abided for us to come out and sing praises unto your name. We thank you today, Father, for the, for the songs. We thank you for BJ and just be with him during the preaching hour to give you the words that we need to hear. Now, Father, we ask blessings upon the offering. Let us use it to glorify your name. What's in your name I do ask. Ask our children to join me on stage here, please. All right. Awesome. Well, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. 
We're getting better. How long can we, can we keep this up? All right. Well, hey, I want to talk to you. I got a question for you. Hey, Brooklyn, come on over this way. Yeah, y'all come this way. That way I don't have to shout. All right. I got a, got a question for you. Um, have you ever worked really hard on something? Have you ever worked real hard on anything? What have you worked hard on? Trying to ride your bike without training wheels. And your roll that's hard. I've never seen anybody roll roller skates and ride their bike without training. Oh, separately, okay. Okay. So yes sir, what have you worked hard on? Swimming. Worked hard on swimming. You you did you figure it out? You got swimming down? All right, yeah. It takes work, doesn't it? It takes work. Did you were you able just to jump on your bike the first time and ride it? What happened? You fell. Yeah. Then did you did you just give up and quit? Maybe that day, but then yeah, but but yeah, you got back up and you and you tried again and you tried again and you worked at it. How about swimming? Did your dad just toss you in the river and say, "Meet me downstream"? No. Oh, okay, okay. Drown proofing. That's what I understand. That was a course in college one time. Drown proofing. But so hey, look, look, look. Whenever we work hard at something and we're successful, we're kind of we're kind of proud of it because it's it's a well, sometimes adults might say it's a fruit of our labor. You know, we've worked hard at something, and then we get to see the completed result. And I know that you guys work hard on all kinds of things, and you're proud of it. You know, you know how I know that? Because I've got a lot of coloring sheets that come home every week, and that you're so proud that you've colored and worked on, and they come, and, and we stick them on the uh, refrigerator or inside that waste basket. And there's, but but you guys are proud, and you want to show them to us and show them off, or. Maybe you built this real big tower. Or you built something out of Legos. Anybody ever built things out of Legos or blocks? You build a, you build something out of blocks, and you want to show it to somebody because you've worked hard and and you're proud of that accomplishment. Well, listen, tomorrow, tomorrow is Labor Day. Now, Labor Day. What what in the world does that mean? Another word for work is labor. So we work hard for things, and and tomorrow's Labor Day. It's supposed to be that we remember all those. All that hard work that we did to to see something accomplished and, so, and to see something finished and something we're proud of. Did you know the Bible talks about the fact that we should work and work hard at things? Yeah, it tells us that it tells us we ought to work hard at things and and then and that we can be proud of those things. Okay, so this is what I want you to do this week. Are you listening? Look at me, so I know you're listening because I tell I tell my guys all the time: you listen best with your ears and your eyes. All right, that's good. That's good. So. I want you to work really hard. I want you to work really hard around your house. But listen, simply be obedient to your parents. Work hard at that because that's one of the things that's so hard for us sometimes. And what does it mean to be obedient? You do what they say right away without complaining. Right? Yeah. So we work really hard. I want you to just work hard at being obedient. Work hard at being obedient. And then for all your parents, so, so now you get to look at your parents. All the parents out there, when they are obedient and when they have worked hard at it, I want you to thank them and tell them that you appreciate them being obedient and, uh, and their, their hard work in that. Can you do that for me? You can do that? All right. Your parents heard you say yes, so all right. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you for who you are. Thank you for uh, what you've done for us. Lord, thank you for the gift of work because we get to see 
we get to see accomplishments that, that we've worked hard on. We get to see the finished product. And, Lord, it's okay that we can be proud of those things, those, that, that effort we put in, uh, whether it's learning to swim or ride a bike or, or build something, whatever it is that we do. So, God, help us to be obedient, to work hard at being obedient, and uh, to honor you even in our work. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
you have your Bibles, I'd ask you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 15. And as you're looking, as you're looking for that passage, Acts 15, verse 4, just want to mention that we, we do have first and second grade children's church uh, this morning. Uh, so I know we've been out of that for uh, a few weeks over the summer, but we have first and second grade meeting this morning. So feel free to participate in that if you want to. Acts 15, verse 4 through 11. When they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers from the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Then the apostles... You are aware that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message and believe. And God, who knows the heart, testified to them by giving the Holy Spirit, just as he did also to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now then, or excuse, now then why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way they are. Father, I thank you for your word this morning and for this very important uh, council meeting that was taking place here that we have recorded for us in the book of Acts. Speak through your word, speak through me, and give us open hearts and open ears to hear a message from you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. You know, I spoke with the children a little bit about Labor Day and just wanted to talk a little bit about Labor Day as we, we begin this morning. It's the first Sunday, or excuse me, the, the first Monday of, of September. It's a day set aside to recognize the strength, the ingenuity, the work ethic of the American labor force. For years, for many years, one of the hallmarks of American enterprise its success and America's position even as a world power has been the American worker. A substantial characteristic of Americans everywhere has been what some call sweat equity. You know, we have indeed reaped what we have sown. And the thought has been, if you want a better life, well, study more intensely. Work a little bit longer. Do your job a little bit better. And essentially, if you want a better life, it's this. Put in the effort and so earn it. Now, sure, sure, certainly, there are obstacles along the way and obstacles to overcome, but there's really no other place, at least that I know of, in the world that this is more true than in the United States. And Labor Day is a day to remember those who built and continue to build our great country. So just... To you, whether your collar is blue or white, whether you work a nine to five, the graveyard shift, you're in an office, you're on an assembly line, you own a business, you work with the public, you're in the field or any other arena, I sincerely say thank you. Thank you for what you do to make your life better, to make your family's lives better, and really what you do to enrich all of our lives. I thank you, the American worker. Having said that, having said that, I thank God 
that my salvation is not earned and it's not based upon my efforts or my own merit, but it's only through the grace of the Lord Jesus. We work. We work with our hands. We work with our minds. We work. But when it comes to salvation, it's not based upon my works. And this passage this morning screams that very loudly. This is what was at this is what was at the center of what was taking place of this council in Jerusalem. And evidently, there was a strict Jewish viewpoint. And this strict Jewish viewpoint was simply this. There's no salvation apart from belonging to the covenant community. There was no salvation apart from belonging to the covenant community. And if you think about it in the Old Testament, that was that was very much true. That's that's a that's a true statement. If you wanted salvation, well, salvation comes to the Jews. If you want to be a part of the Jews, then you observe their laws. You observe their commands. You become a part of their you, you, you become a part of their uh, society, a part of their covenant community. But to really narrow it down, here is the problem that was at hand with this council. The problem at hand with this council, there was, there was, there was a series of questions. And it was simply this. Could they... Could they accept or could they have among their community conversion without circumcision? Could they accept, could they have faith in Jesus apart from or without the works of the law? Could they have commitment to Christ without inclusion in Judaism? And so this was what was the discussion here because for so long, for so long in the early parts of the church, those first converts were Jews. They didn't become less Jew or they didn't become un-Jewish when they placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. In fact, you might even say they became more Jewish because they're now believing in the Messiah that they have been waiting upon. But now when it comes to those who are outside of Judaism, those who are not part of the covenant fellowship, and now we, we see that there are people who are coming to faith in Jesus Christ, but they're not Jews well, now that they need to be a part of our fellowship, they need to be a part of our community, here are some things that they need to do in order to be a part of this community. And this is the question that's here. This is what is being discussed in this entire chapter. We're not going to read all of it, but we're going to cover chapter 15 this morning. Essentially, what they were saying, what the Jewish believers were saying to the Gentiles was this. Faith in Jesus was not enough. It wasn't sufficient for salvation. And so very early on, this, this is not the Reformation movement 500 years ago. This was something taking place in the very first century. They were saying faith in Jesus was not enough. It was not sufficient for salvation. In other words, we need to let Moses complete what Jesus has begun. We need to let Moses complete what Jesus has begun. We need to let the law supplement the gospel. Now, understand, this, they didn't have all the epistles of Paul at this point. They were beginning out. They were, they were just beginning. They're trying to understand what this means. We do have the benefit of 2,000 years of theology, of, the, of looking back at the Reformation. We have that benefit. We have the benefit of Paul fleshing out all of what this means in, in his letters to the churches. But we also have what Peter and 
James and Paul have to say right here in Acts chapter 15. So if these were the questions that were being asked, can we have conversion without circumcision, faith in Jesus apart from the works of the law, commitment to the Messiah without inclusion in Judaism, these were what were being asked. What was really at stake? What was really at stake here? Is it Judaism? No, it was not some Jewish cultural practices which were at stake. What was at stake is the truth of the gospel and the future of the church. It wasn't a matter of whether the law was going to fall away or the, the Jewish practices were no longer going to be carried out throughout the history of the world. What really is at stake is what is essential to the gospel. What is the gospel message? Is it gospel plus anything else? Or is it just the gospel message? What would become of the church at the very foundation here of the church? What's taking place? That's what's at stake here. That's what's going on in this council that took place in Jerusalem. This is what's at stake. And this is why it's important for us to understand it. <clears throat> look, at verse, look at verse 9. Verse 9. Peter is speaking and he says, He, that being God, made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts. He made no distinction between the Gentiles and the Jews. Now he's, he's speaking specifically about when it comes to salvation, when it comes to receiving of the Holy Spirit. He makes no distinction between them. And he is, if you'll remember, he is, I'm sure himself, he's thinking back. I was there. The Lord brought that sheet down in, my, in, in the vision to me. There was the unclean animals. He says, well, I'm making no distinction here. And at the same time, there's, there's taking place in Cornelius' household where he, he has a vision, he needs to come and talk to me. And so Peter is, is summoned, he goes to Cornelius' house, and Peter is witness to Cornelius coming to saving faith in Jesus Christ, a Gentile coming to faith in Jesus Christ apart from the law. It's not the gospel plus everything else. It's just the gospel. We are sinners in need of repentance and in need of salvation. Jesus Christ came, he paid the penalty for your sin and my sin on the cross. He faced death. And then he rose from the dead and defeated death. And we join with him and we too can have eternal life. It's the gospel. There's nothing else there. As this, as, as, as this continued to write out and, and fleshed out by Paul, he would say in the book of Ephesians, it is by grace you are saved through faith. It is by grace through faith no works not so so none of us can boast we can't look back and say look at my good life and how well I've lived my life and have earned eternal life I've earned salvation no man can say that no man can say that because it's not based upon our merit our work if you want to hold your place there in Acts chapter 15 and I want to ask you to turn to Colossians Colossians chapter chapter 2 Look at verse, verses 24. I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 1, 24. You'd be looking all day for Colossians 2, 24. Let's look at Colossians 1, 24. Paul says this, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. That is the church. 
I have become its servant according to God's administration that was given to me for you to make God's message fully known. Listen now. The mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that he may present everyone mature in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength and works powerfully in me. Here's the great mystery. They've been hidden for generations. You know, Abraham didn't know about it. David didn't understand it. The prophets weren't sure about it. But now here it is. It's been revealed. This is it. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles Christ in you. He didn't make a distinction between the Gentiles and Jews when it comes to Christ. We have salvation. We have the hope of glory. And now our job is we proclaim him, teaching, warning and teaching with all wisdom. And we don't do this on our own efforts. Look at verse 29. I labor for this striving in his strength that works powerfully in me. Turn now over to Colossians 3.11. Colossians 3.11. In Christ, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, some people will take this passage and twist it to, to, to fit our modern-day idea of uh, orientation and identity, self-actualization, but that's not what this is talking about. This is a passage on salvation, and he says, in salvation, in Christ, there's no, there, there, there's no regard. You, you can be a Greek or a Jew, and you can still be saved in Christ. You can be slave or free, and you can still be saved in Christ. There's no, everything, you, maybe you've heard it said this way, it's all level at the foot of the cross. Because it's not based upon who you are or what you've done. It's solely based upon what, who Jesus Christ is and what he has done. And this is what was at stake in Acts chapter 15. Let's continue in, back in the book of Acts. Look at chapter, or look at verses 10 through 11. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? Look, to demand more than the gospel would be to put God to the test. Well, how so? Well, because he had already sent out his spirit upon Cornelius and so many others, like at Antioch. And so now we're saying, God, we're not sure that you knew what you were doing. We're not sure this was enough. So now we're going to add the law. We're going to add the law as a prerequisite for salvation. It's to put God to the test, to see if God really meant what he had already shown in accepting Gentiles apart from the law. It's to put God to the test. But then as, as you see, it says there as well, why do you put this yoke upon them when we couldn't even do it? We couldn't do this, and our ancestors couldn't do it, and now you're asking them to, to do it? No. That's hypocritical. That's just wrong. The Jews have not been able to fulfill the law, and it was inadequate as a basis of salvation. Why then? Why then should we apply this to the Gentiles? So they had this conversation. They had this conversation that took place. They were trying to understand. They were trying to understand what was going on. I mean, Peter's already spoken. 
great apostle. James is about to speak. One of the great first elders in the church. Look at verses 19 through 20. Therefore, in my judgment, we should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that has been strangled, and from blood. So this is James. Now, I just listed a, a, a few things there that James says we should, we should be careful with. And it sounds like, it's, it sounds like he's saying, don't add the law. It's just the gospel, except in this area over here. But hang tight. We're going to work through that. He says the Gentiles should not be burdened with the law and circumcision. At this point, you might say the leading apostle and the leading church elder are in agreement. All right, fine. Fine. We won't add the law to the gospel. They can be a part of, they can receive salvation. But, uh, you know, they receive salvation through grace, the grace of Jesus. But, um, you know, how are we going to fellowship with them? And here's, here's, here's the point right here. Look, look at this on the screen. If the Gentiles were not being required to observe the Jewish rituals, which is what they kind of said, how would Jewish Christians who maintain strict Torah observance be able to fellowship with them without running the risk of being ritually defiled themselves? So here's, now here's the next part. Here's the next step. All right, let's say that we... We're comfortable with not adding to the gospel. Let's say we're comfortable that the fact they can join, they can gain salvation through Jesus Christ. How is it that we, who do observe the law, we're still believers, but we are still Jewish, how is it we can fellowship with them? We're supposed to be part of the church, we fellowship. We then would become defiled. How, how do we handle that? And it's almost like James saw this one coming. He just knew this was going to be on the plate, and so he went ahead and prepared everybody. And he listed, he listed these, these abstentions here. James saw the question coming and he addressed it. Because listen, when you look at those, here's, here's the deal. It's not the moral aspects of the law that presented a problem. It's the ritual. The ritual. The moral law that's embodied in the Ten Commandments, well, that moral law was never in question but the ritual law. And so I don't know if you're sitting there today and you're thinking, wait a minute, what's he talking about the moral law versus the ritual law? What are you, what are you talking about? Good, I'm glad you're asking that because we're going to talk about that. But listen, this controversy, it arises today. So this is important for us to understand because this controversy arises today. There's a modern twist on it. It's not exactly the way that it was here in uh, Acts 15, but you would probably recognize it as something similar to this. The church comes out to speak against something that we see as immoral or unethical or not right. And this is a response oftentimes, especially when we quote Old Testament scriptures. It says this, you love to quote scripture when speaking of sexual ethic, but you ignore the part about not eating shellfish or wearing mixed fiber clothing. Anybody in here wearing mixed fiber clothing? Anybody planning to eat shrimp this week? I don't know. 
So here's the deal. That's the modern controversy. Oh, well, you just nitpick and you just cher or cherry pick which parts of the law, which parts of the Bible you want to observe, but you don't observe all of them. Well, hang on a minute. We need to understand something. This is not new, first of all. I love it when people say, I got something new about the Bible. No, you don't. You just had not read enough history. People have been picking apart the Bible for thousands of years trying to undermine the, the gospel message, undermine who Jesus was, and undermine the teachings of Scripture. They're generally accepted. There are three categories of Old Testament law. Now, this goes back even as far back as one great reformer, John Calvin. It says there is ceremonial law. It's a category it falls into, ceremonial law. This is related to Israel's worship. This tells them things that are clean and things that are unclean and how to handle it when you become unclean and what you can do to become clean and how you can go about your, uh, how you can go about being a part of the temple or the tabernacle and joining in with the worship. Well, there's also civil law. If you read the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, Exodus, you can see parts that talk about civil law. Well, what is this? Well, this dictated Israel's daily life. Well, what happens when somebody steals from you? How do you handle that? This is really governmental in, in nature. How do, how do we police ourselves? Civil law. And then there's the moral law. There are also some laws on the books that really they reveal the nature and will of God. In other words, they establish foundational truths about what's right and what's wrong. Now listen, I want to share with you what, what J.D. Greer has to say about this. He talks about Old Testament Israel, and I think he says it real succinctly. He says this. together for the Old Testament Jews, for Old Testament Israel, because breaking a civil or a ceremonial law, well, that was a This idea of separation of church and state, that wasn't one of their core tenets. That's not necessarily the case for the church today. We don't live in a theocracy. We have civil laws that are on the books that are part of, that, that, that are legislated to us. So the way that we view the law, the Old Testament, it would have to look a little differently. It has to look a little differently. So we separate these, the ceremonial law, civil law, moral law, what is right and what is wrong. Now back to, back to what James is saying in Acts chapter 15, specifically verse 20. And the question is, not about their salvation now, but it's, it's more about fellowship. He says to abstain from sexual, or to, to abstain from sexual immorality, to abstain from things polluted by idols, to abstain, don't eat anything that's been strangled, and to abstain from blood. Why these four? Well, there are many opinions, but essentially it's this. Morality was not the issue. They knew they needed to observe God's moral law. God's moral law must be followed, but it has to do with ceremonial and civil law, of which circumcision is a part. Morality is not the issue. Fellowship was. 
And so after this council, after this council is met, and they're in agreement about what takes place, they write a letter. They write a letter that's to be circulated to the churches, specifically to the Gentile, to the Gentile churches. Verse 30, uh, this is right after they've read the letter to the Gentiles. Then being sent off, they went down to Antioch, and after gathering the assembly, they delivered the letter. Verse 31 is one of the most underemphasized verses in all of Scripture. When they read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. You think they rejoiced? You mean I don't have to observe the law? Well, amen. What about us, though? What about us? Well, first of all, I don't know that there is a church that really talks about observing Old Testament law to become part of the fellowship unto salvation. But for us, first of all, I would say this. You don't have to be baptized to obtain salvation. Baptism isn't a prerequisite for salvation. Baptism should flow out of a heart that's been transformed by the Lord. It's an outward expression of an inner change. We're baptized because we're obedient unto Christ, because we want to proclaim to the world that just as Christ was crucified, buried, and resurrected, I too am crucified with Christ, I'm buried, and I'm resurrected with him to walk in a newness of life. Baptism is a celebration of what Christ has already done for you and in you. And so we believe in believers' baptism. That's what we practice here, and we do so by immersion. I love the picture that it paints of that before and after that we go into we go into the baptismal waters as one it's a picture of what we have done before Christ and who we were and who we are after Christ it's a very important step in the process of sanctification Becoming like Christ, showing the world who you really are. Called by God, one of his children, adopted into his family, and the eternal hope and joy that comes through Jesus Christ. Secondly, you don't have to clean yourself up to come to Jesus. You don't have to clean yourself up. So stop trying. You can't be good enough. You, you can't scrub it good enough. You can't do it. You don't have to clean yourself up to come to Christ. I've heard people say that before. You don't know all that I've done. I, I, Jesus can't love me. I, I can't. Yeah, I don't know what you've done. But the fact is you've done something. And you can't overcome it on your own. You don't have to clean yourself up. Look, this has, this has repercussions in evangelism as well. When we go out and evangelize, when we share Christ, there's an episode of, uh, it's, it's the greatest TV show that's ever been on TV. It's, it's the Andy Griffith Show, and if you, if you don't understand that, I'd say go home and watch it, and you, you'll understand. But Andy Griffith Show, there's a particular episode where Aunt B makes it. She's got this great deal on, on like a whole side of beef, and she just goes and she gets all the beef that she can handle and then some. So what are you going to do? Well, you got to have a freezer to put it in, right? And she gets this free, But it's an old freezer. It doesn't work. It causes the lights in the house to blink. There's 
episode, Andy tells Aunt B, just call the man. Talking about the repairman. Aunt B, just call the man. Just have to tell people that they need to clean themselves up. Jesus can do that himself. We just share Jesus. If there's a problem in their heart, Jesus is big enough to help them overcome that problem in their heart. We just just share Jesus. That's all we do when we go to salvation, when we go to evangelize. Just share Jesus. And so from now on, when you go to evangelize, you'll think about Andy Griffith and you'll say, just share Jesus. And that's what we have to do when it comes to evangelism. Okay, if they have questions, certainly we can try to help answer those things. But we don't have to clean them up. Jesus is powerful enough to clean up even me. And because of what Jesus has done for me, and what he's done in me, now I gladly follow the moral law because of what he's done in my heart and in, in my life. It's not a prerequisite. It, it, it doesn't, you know, behaving doesn't earn me salvation. But I try to behave based upon what Christ has done in me. I want to please him. I want to strive to please him. And so tomorrow, it's Labor Day. You know what? Enjoy it. I, maybe, maybe, maybe you do have to work. I know some folks don't really get vacation days. But tomorrow's Labor Day. Enjoy it if you can. Take some time off. Spend some time with your family. Think about the work that you've done or maybe the work that you're supposed to do since you have a day off. But take some time to not only reflect on the fruit of your labors, but remember that, man, there's nothing I can do to earn salvation. And remember the work that Jesus has already done. He completed it on the cross. And I would say this. Don't ever make a mockery of Jesus' prayer in the garden. What I mean by that? When we decide that we need to add to the gospel, when we decide that Jesus is not enough, or we decide that there is another way into salvation, we make a mockery of the prayer that Jesus offered in the garden when he prayed and there were sweat drops of blood coming down his face. He cried, Abba, Father, and he said, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. And the father looked at him and said, there is no other way. And so when we think that we can add to the gospel or we think there's another way apart from Jesus Christ and the salvation, we make a mockery of that prayer in the, in the garden and a mockery of the cross. And I pray we never do that. Salvation comes by, by faith in Christ through his grace as it comes to us. It's just, it's just the gospel. And when we share with other people, we just tell them about Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that people worked out these complicated issues so many years ago. And we don't have to repeat them now because they're already spelled out for us. And, and Lord, you didn't, you didn't send Jesus to abolish the law but to fulfill the law. Your moral law never changes. What's right has always been right and what's wrong will always be wrong. And so, Father, we do, we do follow the moral law or else we'd be in violation of it. But as far we we 
we don't bring a sacrifice to be forgiven of our sins. We don't bring sacrifice for atonement. Lord, we don't, we don't follow those civil and ritual laws or ceremonial laws anymore. Christ has fulfilled all of that. We looked not too long ago at the temple and all that Christ has done in the temple for us. Ultimately taking his own blood and pouring it on the mercy seat. Lord, if we just claim that blood, we have salvation. And Father, when we really realize who we are apart from Christ and who we can be now in Christ, we can't help but follow what you teach and what you, what you command. So Father, I don't know what are hearts in this room this morning. Only you know the hearts. But if there's someone who's trying, they're trying to do better, they're, they're just they're working so hard. Father, I pray that they come to you and they receive the rest that only you can give. And they understand that all the work has been completed. We simply repent Place our faith and trust in you. And your grace comes to us. Father, there's joy and freedom in that. Whether it's for the very first time and we come to know you as our Lord and Savior, or maybe it's just been a while since we've just let your grace come, up, come, come to us and we've just enjoyed being and resting in your grace. I pray that's afresh this morning. We sang a song, The Wonderful Grace of Jesus. May we understand that today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to sing here in just a moment. And I don't know if the Lord is dealing with you and there's something on your heart. Maybe there's a burden that you want to share. I'll be happy to pray with you. The altar is open. Maybe it's something that you, that you and the Lord take care of right there in your own chair. But however he leads, you listen and you follow as we sing this last song together. you glad you worship in the house of the Lord this morning and I'm glad that you are here I'm glad you worship with us just want to make uh, actually if you will just be seated real quick just want to draw your attention to a couple of things in the bulletin first of all our church conference next next Sunday immediately following the morning worship service we'll have a conference for the purpose of uh, sharing a report from the nominating team and then um, <clears throat> on the back there's 
we, we just kind of miss some of the calendar. Don't, don't pay attention to this really closely when it comes to upward. Pay attention to your upward coaches. There's some games that are kind of missing on there and some practices. Um, we'll get that corrected for you next time. But uh, so in, uh, in the book of Ephesians, uh, the, the Bible talks about that uh, the Spirit has given, has given the church, has, has blessed the church in, in different, different uh, giftings. And so uh, there, there are some who are teachers, some who are prophets, some who are apostles. Um, and in our midst this morning, uh, we, we have someone else who's been gifted as a, as a, as a teacher and as a, a minister. Um, and I want to ask uh, Jacob and Hannah Carr if they will come up front for just a moment. Um, Jacob, even, uh, what, last November, I think, was, was talking to me and, and sharing with, the, with me the idea that he uh, has felt called into ministry, and we've talked through that for a long time, and um, been, been uh, you know, just seeking what is the Lord's will for his life and, and where he might be called. And so I take it as kind of an honor, not kind of an honor, this is a stinking awesome honor to be able to, now even though I hate that, that I might be missing you, but Jacob has been called uh, to uh, church in First Baptist Fairburn as their youth pastor. And so I want to take this opportunity as Northside Baptist Church to pray over him and, and his family as a commissioning service as we're sending him out. And so, what's that? Interim, okay, interim youth pastor. Um, so, um, we're going to pray over him. And I, I was asked one time, what is a mark of a, a healthy church? And I don't think it's so much how many people show up on Sunday, but it's how many people go out from your church. Uh, you know, we're, we're preaching through Acts right now, or at least I'm attempting to. And, man, the church in Antioch sent people out, and that was a successful church. I want us to be able to send people out. And so I want to thank you, first of all, for being here and being everything that, that you've done. And uh, we've grown to love you and your family. And, and Ad, Addie's staying with us, right? Is that? No. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, um, and so I want to I just pray over them, and they'll be up here and want you to come by and, and say a word of encouragement to them as well at the end of our service. Um, but that's how we're going to close out this morning. Um, I'm going to pray with them, and, and then uh, Mike, if you will come and, and close us out after, after that, okay? Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for Jacob and Hannah. I thank you for who they are. I've come to know them and to love them over the last few years, and uh, God, thank you for their servant's heart. Lord, it's that servant's heart that's going to carry them through this next phase in their life. It's going to be busy. I can only imagine um, what's, what's being added to their schedule. But, Lord, it's your grace that works in us. Uh, just as we read in, in uh, Colossians this morning, we move forward not in our own efforts, but by the grace that works, that works in us, by Jesus Christ working in them. So, God, give them wisdom and discernment. Go with them and bless their efforts. And I pray that they see fruit from their labors. God, that uh, you be honored and glorified. You be honored and glorified in their life as they go through this. It's not just Jacob who's going, it's, it's his family that's going. And so God, bless, bless the church that receives them and uh, protect them. Lord, may you move. May they simply follow you wherever it is that you call them. 
It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Mike, if you'll close us out, you'll please stand. just ask that you help us to see what you offer and give you praise and thanks for it all each and every day. We just thank you for the, the gift of salvation, how easy it is, but how great it is. I ask that you bless us all this day in some way. Go with us. really very simple.